0: Well, it would be great if you could have your Bibles open at Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. So every new year, uh, one of the things that I, I often uh, try and do is find a passage that I think would be good for the, comber- the congregation in Cumbernauld to kind of set up the year ahead. And this was a passage uh, that, that I meditated upon and then thought would be really appropriate for the congregation. And so... Um, I'm preaching a passage that I preached just at the beginning of this year, this morning. I don't know if ministers are supposed to to have this, but I've got a favourite gospel. And Luke's gospel is my favourite gospel. Luke has an incredible ability. With so few words, he can say so much. All of Luke's stories have an unpredictability you just don't know what's going to happen. What you think is going to happen, never happens. And when you, you study Luke's accounts of Jesus' life, you often think, I'm going to be a spectator. I'm going to listen on and learn. But you often find yourself drawn right into it. As if it was written for you. Now, that's true of all of God's works. But for me, it's particularly true when I study Luke's gospel. And this passage is one of those passages. Now, I have no points this morning, but that does not mean this is a pointless sermon. We're going to walk through this text verse by verse. In so few words, he's going to say so much. So let's, let's prepare ourselves. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Holy Spirit, would you now turn up the volume of you speaking to us? and turn down the volume of anything that would distract us in our minds and our hearts. Help us. Teach us. Convict and challenge us. And lead us to repentance. We want to live lives that reflect the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. And so we pray, Lord, that as we leave this place today, that, that would be the case. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just look down at verse 11. Now Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And it would be so tempting as we read that little statement that, to think of it just as a contextual statement. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. If you know anything about Luke's Gospel, you might know that in Luke 9, verse 51, it's the turning point, the hinge point of the Gospel, because in that verse, we're told Jesus set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. Jesus began his march, his journey to Jerusalem. And time and time again, on the journey, he would turn to his followers and say, In Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And time and time again, as disciples did not understand it. But what we understand is we know Jerusalem is Jesus' destination. It is where he's going to accomplish salvation for his people. Now, why is this so important? Why is this not an irrelevant contextual matter? Because, listen, I think Luke, straight off the bat, wants us to tie this passage here in Luke 17 with the events that take place in Jerusalem. These two events are something inextricably linked. And what they have in common is this. Jesus will heal and rescue people, but the majority will be largely and thankful for what he does. Jesus will heal and rescue people but the majority of people, in response to what Jesus does, will not say thank you. And we're going to visit that in just a moment. Look, look, look on what he says in verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, now, now. what's Jesus, what's look saying here? Well, just imagine Jesus in your head, right? He's walking along the border with his disciples, and on one side is Samaria, and on the other side is Galilee. Galilee. That's where some of the disciples are from. That's where Peter's from, Andrew's from, James is from, John's from. That's their hometown. That's a Jewish hotspot. On the other side is Samaria. They're enemies. That's the mixed race people who were once Jews, but they intermarried with Gentiles. They kind of changed their religion, and they're the enemies of the Jews. And here's Jesus, and he's in no man's land. He's in the little bit between both of these places. The perfect place to meet ten lepers. Look at what it says next. Verse 12 As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy, met him. Notice what Luke says, he's very careful and deliberate. As he was going into the village, not when he was in the village, because lepers were banned and barred from being in villages, towns and cities. The perfect place to meet a group of lepers was in no man's land. Outside the community. Now, if we're going to appreciate this story, we need to appreciate what leprosy, at least biblical leprosy was. In the Bible, the, it, the, the term leprosy can refer to a whole host of skin diseases, but it's clear that in some accounts, it's referring to the, the disease that's spoken about even in Leviticus 13 and 14. What would happen is someone would notice that they, they these spots developing on their skin, they were often white, and they were often really itchy and they also were smelly. And what they would do was, it was custom that if you started to discover you had a skin disease, you had to go to the priest who functioned in those times as a health officer. And if he looked at your skin and recognised it was leprosy, his words, to were, his words to you were, you are unclean. Leave here now. In other words, you ain't going back to your family. You'll never pick up your kids again. You'll never hug your wife. You'll never kiss your parents. And lepers were thrown out of the community, and they knew that according to Leviticus 13, 14, there were certain things that they now had to do, like never change their clothes. In fact, rip their clothes. So that if anyone ever saw them, they would know they were a leper. They were never allowed to comb their hair again. They were to keep their hair unkempt. So if anyone ever saw them, they would know they are a leper. They were to cover the lower part of their face. And if anyone ever came into Aisha of them when they were in no man's land, they were to shout out, unclean, unclean. To be a leper was to be the walking dead. Physically, you were in pain, mentally, you were in a prison. Because no one really understood what it was like to be unclean, untouchable. Have this revolting smell about you all the time. That made you feel sick. And to be outcast from everything and everyone. And Jesus meets ten lepers here in no man's land. Now, now, look at what it says next. They stood at a distance. These men were highly infectious. Highly contagious was their disease. And so they, they stand back and they're at a distance and they see Jesus. Now, no doubt, either before they'd caught the, the disease lepers, they they'd heard about Jesus. Jesus was the man who healed people with a touch, had touched lepers and made them clean. With a word, he spoken to the elements, the wind and the waves, and told them to be still, and they were still. With a word, cast out demons, raised a dead girl. And no doubt, when they saw Jesus in the distance, there was this little bit of hope. There's a guy that could heal me, save me. And so they stood at a distance, and look what they said. He called out in a loud voice. And if you're going to appreciate this passage, you've got to hear them. Jesus is at a distance, they see him, and they want to get Jesus' attention, so they shout out, Jesus! 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 His name, Jesus, means he shall save his people from their sins. Saviour! Saviour! And then they say, Master. Jesus, Master. The one who is in the who's to be obeyed. They cry out to the one who's to be obeyed. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Can you picture that scene in your mind's eye? He's 10 lepers, standing off at a distance, Jesus making his way into a village, and then Jesus hearing these men crying out to him. Now, I said looks. Accounts of Jesus are never predictable. This is one of those occasions. So if you've studied through the gospel, at this point you're thinking, Jesus hears ten lepers calling out to him for mercy. What's Jesus going to do? Well, of course we know what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to walk over to them, isn't he? Jesus is going to touch the untouchable and he's going to say, be good. Because that's what Jesus does, has done in the past and he does so often. And yet in this passage, that's not what it says. It says, when he saw them. In other words, he stood in the same spot and he looked over to them. When he looked at them, he said, imagine hearing this as the first word from Jesus that you think is going to heal you. Go. Like, for a millisecond, these guys must have been thinking, wait a minute. This isn't, he doesn't, like, other people he's walked over to touch to make clean. And now he's saying to us, go. Go, says Jesus. Get out of here. Show yourselves to the priests. Now, what Jesus is saying here to these ten lepers is: Trust me. Obey me. Okay, you call me Jesus, Savior. You call me Master. Okay. Trust me. Obey me. Go show yourself to the health officer in this community, the priest. The only one who can declare you clean and invite you back into the community. And you can imagine these guys just for a moment thinking, wait a minute, once a leper, always a leper. Jesus saying, go to this this priest. How can we go to the priest if he sees us? We're still covered in all our leprosy. But look at what Luke says next. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, 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 if we're going to fuel this story, we've got to enter into it. Okay, can you imagine that moment? Jesus says, Go, show yourselves to the priest, and they do a little turn, and they're like, Okay, let's go. And they start walking, ten of them in a row. And they're walking into the village. And one just takes a glance over his friend, and then this is a double take. Look, Look. And then another one looks at the other one and the same thing happens. And, and then they realize that those spots they're gone. And then they start looking up their clothes and check their legs and check their arms. Now just enter into that story. You have lived with this crippling disease. You, you, you've been numbered among the walking dead. And in this moment, you start to realize that this disease, which is incurable, has been cured. You've gone from literally dead to now being alive. How would you respond? It doesn't matter if you're a stoic Jew, Sith, upper lip, you're going to punch the air, you're going to do a little dance, you're going to scream, you're going to shout, you're going to go nuts. Like your life has been transformed. Your existence has been radically altered. My as I was picture these 10 lepers, they going nuts. Jesus has healed them, they're cleansed. And you can imagine they're chomping at the bit to get this priest. Man, priest, look at me. Look, I'm doing. Can I to my family? They run home. They run in the door. They've never combed their hair. They've never had a bath in ages. Their clothes are mess, And they're flinging off their clothes. Getty clothes. They're jumping in the bath. Oh, they're smelling good. They're combing their hair. Give me the hairdresser. They get their hair. They're grabbing their kids. They're kissing them. They're kissing their wife. They're kissing everybody. And the dog. Anybody. Because they're so happy. Their lives have been changed. But look at what Luke says verse 15 one of them you hear that one one of them when he saw he was healed so there's a guy at the tenny he looks down he sees he's healed he's blown away, he can't believe his eyes came back praising God in a loud voice. So, so as the nine walk off in, in the direction of the, of the priest, one of them just swivels in his feet and comes to Jesus and starts walking in the direction of Jesus. Just, just one of them, by the way. Nine of them, ten of them, sorry, had cried out in a loud voice Jesus, Master, have pity. You on us one of them returned praising God with a loud voice you know this passage says most people are far more prone to pray in a time of need than to praise God when he meets that need now if you're going to appreciate this, this event, we've got to see what this man does right See, he's healed. He turns around and he starts walking to Jesus. And he's praising God with a loud voice. Now, here's what, here's what I love about Luke. This is what I love about Luke, right? He says, in like the most matter-of-fact, ordinary way, the most profound thing ever. He came back praising God. Do you see what he's just said there? Jesus is God. Who healed him? Jesus. Who's he praising? Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God. So as he turns back, he's praising God, and with a loud voice. Like, I don't know if you, you, you grew up in a Pentecostal church, but if you've been at a Pentecostal church, just imagine a shooting session you get in Pentecostal churches, right? And this guy's just having a shooting session, and he's walking back to Jesus. How great is our God! Indescribable! How great are your ways! How marvelous, how wonderful. And you can hear him. Sing with me, how great is our God. Like Jesus has just changed his life. And he's walking back and he's shouting to Jesus in a loud voice. And then, he, and then notice what Luke tells us. He says to us, he threw himself at Jesus' feet. He comes into the presence of Jesus. God, and he literally falls at his feet. On his knees. You know, as I said to the boys and girls, the the couple of tribes in Africa, how do they express thanksgiving? They fall on their face, or they sit on the ground, and it's interpreting thank you. In this culture too, if you wanted to show thanksgiving, there was really an act of humility. You came before the one who was greater, the one who you were in their debt, And you acknowledged what they had done for you by falling on your face before them. Honest question. Have you ever fallen at anyone's feet? Have you ever bowed low to the ground in thanksgiving and praise to God? Look look that look then says as he's on his knees, he says, He thanked him. And, and and the verb there is he did it again and again and again. So he's at the feet of Jesus and he's shouting out, Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. All the other nine men had to go first to the priest. This man comes to the great high priest and he builds at the feet of the great high priest an altar of praise. But look's not done, and here comes the shock. Here comes the twist. And he was a Samaritan. Now, now, now where, where are we? Where we're in no man's land in between Samaria and Galilee. Here's Jesus met? Ten Lapos. And, and, and I think presumably what's been, what's been communicated here is one of them was a Samaritan and nine of them were Jews. And the ones you would have thought would come back to Jesus to praise him, don't. And the one you least expect to come back to Jesus, does. And, and if you know Jesus, if you've studied through the Gospels any length of degree, one of the things you discover about Jesus is he's always elevating the position and the place of Samaritan. So he's at a well and he meets a Samaritan woman. And she's even shocked. Jesus is an engager, but Jesus engages her. And he changes her life. You get two disciples, and on one occasion they're like, can we call down fire in Samaria? you like, nope. In fact, the next passage in Luke, after they do that, Jesus is chatting to a young Jewish man who wants to justify himself in Jesus' presence, and Jesus says, okay, let's, let's think of a story of who your neighbour is. And who does Jesus hold up as an example? The Good Samaritan. And when Jesus is just about to go to heaven, his last words to his disciples, to his disciples is you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then all the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus, he loves everyone and anyone, even people that you and I make this like. People with the wrong race, the wrong religion, even those who have the worst possible disease. And it's this man who comes back and praises Jesus. And if you're here, this is something you need to... And you're not a Christian, this is something you need to appreciate about Jesus. Jesus loves absolutely everyone and anyone. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter your story. doesn't matter if you think you'd be unloved by Jesus. Read through the Gospels. And, and look at what verse 17 and 18 say. Jesus asked, Where are not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner now now as we're listening to this story Jesus and we hear Jesus and and he's like where are the other nine evidently we're supposed to be incensed at the other nine disciples but where are they like Jesus changed their lives they were cleansed where are they their existence was transformed but they're not here to say thank you Don't you feel mad that these guys wouldn't come and just say to Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me? But why don't we just make this a little bit personal? Because I think that's what Luke wants us. Who are we? Are we among the nine or are we among the one? And I suspect if you've grown up in church, you're probably among the nine like me. Because there's the that if there's one Samaritan, there are nine Jews. The ones Jew you would expect to come and say thank to Jesus, they don't. The one you least expect does. And remember, this, this story, as I said at the beginning, it's connected to the events of the cross. So, so, so if you've grown up in church, it's so easy, right, for us to. All that Jesus has done for us at the cross, we kind of just start taking it for granted. So when we show up in church on a Sunday and we sing praise to God, it's often we're just mumbling out the words. When we, we go in our pockets to give, it's not as a cheerful giver, it's just like, yeah. When, when we, we say thank you in prayer, it's just what we add in our prayer. Thank you, Lord. When we say thank you before we eat a meal, some of us have forgo- we forget to do that so often, we just, it's just thank you. Often meet a guy who's just been changed by Jesus, has got no Christian upbringing, and he's just discovered the wonder of the cross. And they're passionate in praise and thanksgiving because of all that he's done for them. You know, if a guy was to walk into church this morning, right, and he was overcome by what Jesus had done for him, and he's to fall down on his knees before Jesus, I think most of us in this church would be like, weird. Like, that's a bit excessive. And if we was to start shouting out, How wonderful, how marvelous! We'd be like, Calm down, we're Presbyterians. You know what Jesus says? Faith. You know what Jesus is? The most appropriate response. In fact, his final word will be to this man who falls at his knees and prays him with a fine, aloud voice, will be, Rise, go, your faith has made you well. You know, in chapter 7, there's this account where Jesus is, there's a woman in the city, she pours alabaster oil, Jesus, she unfurls her hair, and Jesus forgives her, and Jesus says to the Pharisees, those who are forgiven much, love much. This guy, this Samaritan, he was blown away. Jesus, the Jew, saved me, healed me, cleansed me. I didn't deserve this. But he did this for me. And so I'm going to respond to Jesus in the most appropriate manner. He's changed my life. I'm going to give him praise. I'm going to fall at his feet. You know, you know one of the reasons why so often as Christians we can struggle to give Jesus the praise he's due is because it hurts our pride. It takes humility to praise and show thanksgiving. That's why the Massai tribe, they bow in their face, they put their head in the dirt. That's why the another tribe they sit in front of somebody's ha huh, for hours and end, I'm in your debt. You know, sometimes in church I'd never raise a hand because I'm I'm thinking about myself, nothing about. It. I'm I'm not arguing here. Let's become Pentecostal, but I'm arguing here. Sometimes one of the reasons we don't really show our Thanksgiving is because we're more concerned about what other people think than what Jesus thinks. In fact, we're more concerned about what other people think as opposed to what Jesus has done. And Luke wants to drive this uncomfortable truth home to our hearts and that's why both he and Jesus highlight this foreigner. Now, if Jesus noticed the gratitude of the Samaritan, I need you to know this. Jesus also noticed the ingratitude of the 9 Where not all ten clans. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise except this foreigner? Like in light of all Jesus has done for you and is doing for you, he notices how you respond to him. This morning he sees. He knows. Like he's just not faking it, pretending. You know, you know, when I was studying this passage, I had to ask myself, like, Andy, what, what, what is your level of thanksgiving right now? I just started reflecting so much as it happened in recent weeks, it was Christmas time of years, and I was thinking, man, I've been enjoying the gifts, but I've totally forgotten the giver. And then I started just to think a little bit more about it. I was like, I can remember when I was first saved, right, and, and like when I realised what the cross was all about. That Jesus died on the cross for me. He bore in his body the wrath of God for my sin. I can remember, right, any time I was in church, I couldn't wait to sing. I couldn't wait to pray. I would like find all the money I had. I'd had crack open my piggy jar like, just to take more money in church. Like genuinely, I was overcome what Jesus done for me. And then I look at my life now, and here I am, four years, five years in ministry, and sometimes I forget to thank God at the beginning of the day, and struggle sometimes in the evening. Meal times, if people are there, yeah, I'll say grace and give them thanks when people are there, but sometimes in I'm on I totally forget about it. And you are saying, Andy, you're just being pedantic. no, 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 no. no. As I examine my life, I see a lot of pride and I don't see much humility. And Jesus, opposed, Jesus is the pride and he gives grace to the humility, to those who are humble. And as I, I wrestled with this passage in my heart, one of the things I started to realize is my own propensity is not towards being grateful and thankful to Jesus. It's then gratitude. And and, you know, you could be sitting here and thinking, gratitude is a nice addition to someone's life. It's nice when kids say thank you when you give them a sweetie or you give them a gift, right? But see, in Christianity, gratitude is not a nice addition to a generally good character, it is an indispensable quality to a Christian's character. Gratitude is the highest duty and the supreme virtue of a believer. You know, you can spot a Christian a mile away in church. Watch how they sing. Now I know some people they can just it can just be perhaps Watch their faces. They genuinely love Jesus. They love the words they're singing and they are singing praise and response to them. Watch how they live. They're so humble. They're, they're willing to acknowledge others before themselves. I would say watch how they give, but the word says the right hand should not know what the left hand is given. They give generously. Not because they're trying to curry around God's favor, they give because in response to all that He's done, they're like, everything is yours anyway, Jesus. You know, you know, you know the really interesting thing about ingratitude? It is a leprosy of the soul to the Christian. Man. You see ungrateful Christians, and this is what you see. It destroys their happiness, it cripples their joy, it withers their compassion, it paralyzes their praise, it renders them numb to all the blessings of God. So, so in light of all that Jesus has done, they can get happy. They ain't that joyful, they ain't that compassionate. When they're trying to praise God in church, they're paralysed. Because that's what leprosy does. The leprosy of ingratitude. It eats away on the inside. You know the fascinating thing of this passage is that the Samaritan friends went to the priest and they were declared clean. The Samaritan came to the great high priest. And do you know what it says at the end? Jesus said to him whilst well, so he was on his knees, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And see when it says your faith has made you well there, it's the idea of your sins have been forgiven as well. You have been saved. So, so, so here's the question I, I honestly want us to wrestle with as we go from here and as we seek to live for Christ in the year 2020. Will we live as those we are deeply grateful for all that Jesus has done for us. And do you know what that means? We need to take the time to appreciate all that Jesus has done for us and is doing for us. You know, the application of this text isn't just like this easy throwaway flipping, like, now be grateful. <laughs> the, the application of this text is we need to take the time to appreciate who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is doing all of your sin he endured the wrath of God on your behalf in his body so that you don't have to spend eternity in hell right now your health, your strength your food, your means, your family, your friends a gift from him all good and perfect gifts come from him so how will we say thank you what will thanksgiving look like in your life and in my life? Will you say thank you with your lives? Offering them as living sacrifices? This is That will, that will be a play, pleasing and acceptable act of worship. Will you, say thank, will you say thank you with your lips? Will you say thank you with your time? With your money? And not just as someone who says, I'm going to give today, but I mean, I'm going to give all the time to Jesus cheerfully in response to all that Jesus has done for me and I just wonder right will you fall down on your knees at any point in the presence of God and say thank you maybe not in public but certainly in private and with a loud voice praise him why because he's transformed your life. You were once dead. You're now alive. You were once blind. You can see. You were once lost. Now you're found. He deserves all the praise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we would confess before you this morning that... So often when we think of the events of the cross, we can think of them so lightly, forgetting the depth, the magnitude of what you endured on our behalf. We pray that by your spirit you would lead us, even whether it's today or sometime this week, that we could take time aside just to reflect on all that you've done for us. And this wouldn't just be a one-off thing, but this would be a daily or a weekly thing in our life. We would recalibrate ourselves so that we could respond appropriately to you. Lord Jesus, we want to confess, those of us who who know that the leprosy of ingratitude has taken hold of our soul. We want to confess, Jesus, that you would heal this disease in our life. And as you heal it, Lord, that we would be so thankful in response to you doing it. So please, have pity on us, Jesus, Master. We trust in you, and we will obey you. We pray this in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing to conclude our worship. Lord for the years.